And the moment you see him, the moment you see God, and everyone in this room is going to have to face him one day. And the moment you get that first glimpse of God, I promise you, you are going to cower and collapse. It is going to be absolutely terrifying. Everyone in scripture who has seen him, prophets, these great men of God, the moment they saw God, it was just a sheer I have never seen anything like this before. And the crazy thing to me is most of the people, the vast majority of those who live in our country do not believe that they are going to cower or collapse when they see God. They don't understand or believe that he really is holy You know, we sing these songs, holy, 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 because it's what the angels keep saying, holy, 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 meaning he's he's different from me. He's not like me. He's separate from me. And, and, and a lot of us, we focus on so many things during the week. We, we, we think about, oh, no, you know, the economy is going bad and this and that. Oh, no, I'm concerned about the leadership. I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, health insurance, you know, this or that. And I'm going, the moment you see him, you're going to realize how ridiculous all those thoughts were. Because you really should have been consumed with one thing. The fact that you're going to see him one day. And that is going to be the most intense moment of your existence. Hmm. We, we do, what do we do with that? Well, we better pray first, I guess. We will. Someday we will stand before you. As Francis Chan said, that will be the most intense experience that we've ever had. as we come face to face with your holiness, Father. We're trying to get at least a glimpse, a little bit of comprehension of, of what that even means. And I certainly feel inadequate as, as a man to try to present that, and yet your word has has made it a priority, and so we have to think it through together. And so... My prayer, our prayer, is as we continue this, this topic, this discussion, this, this subject, that you will, by the power of the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, give us some understanding. And thank you for what you're going to do. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. As Mark mentioned, next week we'll, we're going to have a guest speaker, a friend of mine. Uh, if you'll remember, some of you, a little over a year ago, Bill, ha- Bill Hansberger came. We went to school together, and, and uh, Bill did a, an evening, Sunday evening session for us, just a Q&A time. Uh, well, he's going to be back next Sunday, and, and Bill has a very unique ministry. I don't know about you, but we often, at least I often, I get into these, you know, I hear these conversations <clears throat> going on in the world around me, and, and I don't even know where to dive into those. You know, there's just, there's so much wrong information, but, but it's almost like if I dare jump into the conversation, you know, all of a sudden all these labels come towards me. Uh, you know, you're racist, you're bigoted, you're whatever, and you're Christian. Uh, and so it's, it's hard. Well, Bill's ministry, and, and actually he has a team of missionaries that work with him, 
His ministry is to do exactly that, to jump into those conversations. Bill and his team will go to uh, New Age conferences. They'll go to uh, these, these situations where folks gather to, to uh, talk about occults or cults or uh, uh, all kinds of things. And, and they, they jump into the conversation. And, and uh, Bill's one of the most intelligent individuals I've ever met. I, I'll deny that if you tell him that, to, that I said that. Uh, but just a, a brilliant mind. And I, I can't even conceive of, of doing what he does, of having the information in his mind. So I'm looking forward to him bringing in. And so you get the, the title for or the, the idea is, that's just wrong. I feel like that all the time. I'm just always not, I'm not always knowledgeable or comfortable with <coughs> saying it. And so he's going to help us think through that. And so I'm anxious for you to be that. And then we'll go back again to uh, our, our discussion of holiness. Uh, we've, we've entered into this, this topic of holiness. And, and we, we started by, and we're going to go back there today, by looking at an individual, a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah was back in Old Testament times in the Bible. <clears throat> there, he was one of those individuals, certain individuals that God gave a ministry of being the, hit God's spokesman to a people. Sometimes it was to the Israelites, God's people. Sometimes it was to other nations. And he would send them in to basically to say, thus saith the Lord. Here, here's God's message for you. And Isaiah is one of those guys. And, and he was sent to the, to the Israelites people. And, and uh, a good part of the, of the time when he was speaking for God, <clears throat> he did so uh, as Israel was being led by this king that was just really a good king. And, and he had come uh, after a, a, actually 10 <laughs> kings before him were all evil. Were all, they all had struggles, all, <laughs> all had issues. Uh, and then came Uzziah, and Uzziah was just a good man. Not a perfect man, but a good man, a good king. He had really at his heart he had uh, uh, the, the good of the people, the good of the Israelites. And so he wasn't making decisions like kings often do that would benefit him. He, his thought process, his decision-making was based on what, what will help my people, and including the fact that he, he moved in and, and there was the, the evil kings prior to him had set up a lot of idol worship and these, these uh, places all over the country where Folks could go, and even to the point of sacrificing their children to the, the God of Moloch. It was, a, it was a horrendous time, and, and Uzziah came in and did that. And so he was really a good man, and, and, I, and Isaiah and Uzziah were, were, were certainly very good friends, and then Uzziah dies. He has a, he's king for five decades, 52 years, and then he dies. And, and so what is happening here is, as we've entered into this scene in, in Isaiah's life is, Isaiah has gone to the temple, and, and I believe that the reason he's gone is because he's panicky. He, he the, the next king that has been chosen is a guy by the name of Ahaz. If you know anything about Ahaz, he's about as evil as evil can be. And then he marries a woman named Jezebel that's even worse. <clears throat> In fact, that name still, we hear that name and we tend to think evil, and it kind of goes all the way back to her. And, and so here's this, this evil team, this disastrous team of, of Individuals in, in lead over the nation of Israel, <clears throat> and Isaiah, I suspect, is beside himself. He, he's in one of those moments where he's thinking, what is going on? Life is falling apart. The kingdom is coming in on itself. And so, so he goes, and, and very, very possibly, probably goes with kind of this attitude of, you know, God, what on earth are you doing? This makes no sense. 
Why would you give us five decades of undoing evil just to, th- to allow this guy to step into that position? And so he, steps, so he goes into the, to the, to the, to the uh, temple and begins to talk to God. Now all of a sudden this God shows up. You know, you, we don't expect that. We, at least not in the way he did. God shows up and the whole temple is filled with God's glory. And God, Isaiah comes face to face, not with God himself, but with the glory of God. And he sees this. And, 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 and what happens to Isaiah the moment he sees this? Woe is me. I'm ruined. Basically, he says, what have I done? I'm a dead man. That's what happens when he comes into the, 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 a glimpse of the glory of the holiness of God. And that's where we were. And in fact, if you want to take your Bibles, we're going to Isaiah 6. And as you do, let me, let me tell you a concern I have. I think when it comes to our perspective of God so often nowadays, we're kind of like, I read this story recently. about There's a man who was applying for a job at a big corporation. He was applying to become one of their accountants. And so he went through the, through the whole interview process and got to the end. And, and the guy who was doing the interview asked him, says, I have one more question for you before you leave. He says, I want, what is three times seven? And this guy who's applying to be an accountant says, 22. Well, he, he leaves. And as soon as he gets outside of the business, he takes his calculator out because it didn't sound right coming out of his mouth. And so he, and he, he does it. He goes, oh, I'm never getting this job. In fact, I probably shouldn't be applying to be an accountant. So, so he's sure, you know, he's not going to get the job. And then two days later, he gets a call. And they say, job's yours if you want it. Well, he's kind of flabbergasted. So, so he accepts it, obviously. And <clears throat> as soon as he shows up, he, he goes to, he searches out the guy who did the interview. And he walks into his office. He said, why did you offer me the job? Why did you give me the job? I got the answer wrong. He said, well, you were the closest. <laughs> well, that's kind of the impression we got of God nowadays. At least the world does. And I think even us, to an extent, we got this, this, this thing. We look at God and we emphasize his love. And he is a God of love. But we translate that into meaning for God, close is good enough. You know, he, he knows. You know, he looks at us and he says, yeah, they're not perfect, but mm, close enough. Come on in. And the only reason we have that, that even, even that, entertain that perspective of God is because we don't understand His holiness, or we'd never, ever draw that conclusion. And the other thing about that that is so frightening is do you recognize? That would make the cross a waste of time. That, that torture that God in the flesh, Jesus, went through, that time on the cross that he shed his blood and actually gave his life, total waste if close is good enough. That all happened because close is not good enough. To a holy God, a holy God could not have anything to do with sin. So if we were ever to have the potential, the possibility to, to ever be in the family of a holy God, to step into his presence someday, to be able to call him Father, something had to do about, be, be done about our sin. Because a holy God could have nothing to do with me as long as my sin remained unforgiven. 
That's why the cross had to happen, because God doesn't grade on a curve when it comes to the sin of humanity. It has to be dealt with. So God dealt with it himself. He took on himself my sin. And so this is a, this was really an important topic for us. So we started a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah chapter 6, and, and we dug into the, to the first two verses as, as Isaiah comes into the temple. And again, I, I think he came there with heartache, with fear, with a sense that the life was falling apart at the seams. And, and some of you know about those kind of experiences. He, he comes in with a, almost a, God, what are you doing type of, type of attitude uh, you, can, you need to tell me something. I'm, I'm supposed to be your spokesman. What do I say to this nation who, who is reeling from the loss of such a, a man they love so much and, and now stepping into this new direction that is so far from? What, what do I say as, when they ask me? And so he's coming in with all that. And so as he's there, as we read, he, he, he stepped into there in the first two verses. And let me read them again for us. In the year King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and then we'll go into verse 3. But that's, so that's where we started a couple of weeks ago. As, as he walked through that, he, and, and he said, he sees them, and, and uh, he says, you know, I saw this this." this uh, vision, or, or God allowed me to, to draw me into the presence. But so, so I saw the glory of God, and it filled the temple. But then I saw something unusual. And remember, we've talked about this before. If you read something in Scripture, it's because God wanted it there. And so we need to think through these things. And so, so God, for whatever reason, wanted Isaiah to see these angels. And so that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago is as he saw the angels and, and he described, he said, they had six wings. And, and then he says, and with two of the wings, they were covering their eyes. And, and so we talked about what's going on there. And we went back to Moses as in, and Moses as, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, he, he heads up onto the mountain to receive the, the commandments from God. And remember, it seemed like after a period of time, at least this is my interpretation, as, as Moses got kind of familiar with God. You know, he's hung with him for 40-some days. He's up there. And so he, he, gets, he gets bold enough, brash enough at one point to say, hey, God, you know, I know you're around, but I'd like to see you face to face. And do you remember what God told Moses when he asked for that? If you see me face to face, you will what? Die. You'll die. Humanity can't look on me face to face and live through it. And so he says to Moses, remember, he says, okay, but here's what I will do. And, and you remember, he put, took Moses, he stuck him down in this crag between these rocks, and then he covered Moses with his hands. And then, and then he told Moses well, he was going to walk by him, and after he was past Moses, he would allow his, the glory to come off his back and filter down between those cracks and underneath his hand, and, and there would be a refraction or reflection of the glory of God, and he'd allow uh, Moses to see just that much. And remember, even just that refraction of a reflection of God. And as Moses came on off the mountain, he didn't realize it, but his face was brilliant. It shone. That's what the impact of the glory of God. And, and, so, and here we have the angels who are the most familiar with God. 
who are in his presence, doing his bidding, day after day after day, and yet in all their familiarity, in their closeness to God, they cover their eyes. And, and we're kind of nonchalant about God. But they're not. They know him better than us in ways that we don't even understand. And they cover their eyes. And then, and then Isaiah goes on and he says, and with two of their wings they covered their feet. And again we went back to Moses as he walked through the wilderness. He's out herding the sheep and he sees this, bird, this bush burning. And, and what's unusual is that it's not burning up and he's never seen that before. And so he moves over toward the bush and he, as he's getting close to the bush, all of a sudden a voice comes out of the bush because God's glory is there and it says to Moses, stop. Don't come any further. You're about to step on holy ground. You need to take your sandals on. Your sandals have dirt from ordinary ground. They can't touch this. This is holy ground. And that ground, minutes before, was no different. But now that God's glory was there, it was holy ground. And, and he's warning Moses, don't, don't, take, don't step on this with sandals that have dirt on them from normal ground. And so here's the angels. Again, the ones most familiar with God. But they cover their feet. And so all of a sudden, Isaiah's, you know, in fact, we're going to see in a little bit, he's, he's kind of getting taken in by all this. And, and so I want to go on now as we, as we continue this and look at verse 3. So he tells us what happens next. Verse 3, and he says, And they, the angels, were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So so these angels start now to speak. And the first thing they say, and this only happens twice in all Scripture, they, they refer to God and they say that He's holy, holy, holy. In the Revelation, book of Revelation, you'll see that again. And, and so they, they, they make this cry out that whole, about God. He's holy, holy, holy. That, now this is a in the Hebrew language, this language, this is significant. It's called an emphatic somatic triplet. And really what it is, it is a way of emphasizing and then reemphasizing something that is very, very important and significant. We, we use similar things. Remember this, some of you? Long time ago in a galaxy, far, far away. It's not just far away, it's far, far away. It's long, and so, so we have that concept to an extent. Uh, but here, he's talking about God, and, and he says that, you know, God is not just holy. The angels were saying this. He's not just holy, holy. He's not just, he's separated from man, certainly, separated from everyone else. But he's holy, holy, holy. He is consumed. He is all holiness. And in fact, everything about God, it's interesting, uh, the men in the, the retreat last week, some of the, we spent some time on uh, the attributes of God. And uh, I asked the guy who was leading, I said, well, what do you do with, you know, because one of the ones he listed was holiness as an attribute of God. And I said, do you realize all the other attributes of God are, are just stated as, you know, he's loving, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's all-powerful, he's all-wise. But the one you list, it says God is holy, holy, holy. None of the other ones are that. And, and I think, and I agree, uh, uh, one of the books that we've recommended called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, he says that's because Holiness is kind of the all-encompassing thing. You know, uh, God is love. 
And that's true. But God's love is a holy love. I mean, we, we, we love, but our love is, is uh, it's, it's skewed some. You know, we get kind of mixed up about this, but not God, because God's love is, his holy, holy, holiness is, is what runs and, and, and drives his love. Uh, a God is uh, uh, all-powerful. But his power is, you know, there's a lot of powerful people, but, but God's power is a holy power. Uh, God is all-knowing, but, but God's knowledge is a holy knowledge. You know, uh, just kind of maybe to illustrate this a little bit, you know, we, we have knowledge. We, some, some are more knowledgeable than others, but, but our, our knowledge is always tainted somewhat. Uh, skewed might be a better word. And, you know, I've watched this, you know, I've counseled now for, for a lot of years and <clears throat> counseled couples, and sometimes I've counseled couples that are in their second marriage. Some of you have walked through the, the pain of, of that, and they're in their second marriage, and, and uh, here's what happens. Uh, you know, their, their first marriage obviously ended for a reason. Uh, think something wasn't right, and, and, and maybe sometimes it could be because their, their spouse was unfaithful. And, and so, so what happens is that knowledge has been skewed by that first experience, and they carry that knowledge into that second marriage, <clears throat> and it causes struggles, you know. Uh, their, their spouse is a little late from work one night. And, and, and it takes them back to that previous marriage when, when they had an unfaithful spouse. And, and all of a sudden their mind runs away and, and they get fearful or they get anxious or they get angry. And that poor guy or gal walks in the door and, and whoa, whoa, they're blown away. They have no clue what's happening. And what they don't realize is they, they, are, they are reaping the results of knowledge that has gone through some suffering in the past. And so, so now it's tainted. God's knowledge isn't like that. His knowledge is holy. Nothing skews it. Nothing interferes with it. And, and so, so Isaiah hears these angels, and they say, you know, God is, is holy, holy, holy. Everything about him is driven, is, is, is powered, uh, is not contained. That wouldn't be the right word, but, but it is overcompassed by the fact that he is a holy, holy Holy God. And then he hears the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Some of your translations say is the Lord of hosts. The NIV is probably better. This is an IV, and it's probably better here because it really says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of might. And, and you know, there are, there are powerful, mighty people in the world, rulers, Bosses, uh, you know, everyone probably, have, all of us have, deal with somebody with some might that's more than ours. Uh, uh, my wife has me scraping popcorn ceilings right now. She has power over me, so I, I scrape the ceilings. Now, I don't, don't tell her this. I don't really like them either. But I, I, I dislike scraping them more than I dislike the ceilings. So, but, you know, so we all have that, but, but, but God is all might, all power, all holiness. And, and this is what the angels are, are, are want Isaiah to come to understand. And why is this important for Isaiah? Well, because his life's falling apart. From his perspective, the kingdom is coming apart at the seams. And, and I don't know about you, but you know, I, I'm kind of, I used to be, one of those, these news addicts. In fact, I have my thing set up to tape the news every single night. My wife can tell you. 
And I used, to, I used to be enthralled. I wanted to see the news, and, and I don't get home usually in time for it. So that's why I tape it. You know what I do almost probably nine times out of ten now when I come home? Delete. I watch that stuff, and I get anxious. I get angry. Uh, you know, and, and I get a sense probably like Isaiah had. Man, it's coming apart at the seams. What is going on? And, and so Isaiah needed to hear... From the angels, no. God is the mighty one. And his might is a holy might. Nothing interferes with it. So it's okay. It's okay. And and then they end up by saying, the whole earth is full of his glory. And again, Isaiah needed to hear this because you're sitting there, we look at these things and we say, how can this be right? Is, Is it an indication, God, that maybe you were caught by surprise, that you've lost control, and, and it could be the world events, it could be your own personal events, and you got start to wonder, this, this can't be right. This can't be what you want, God. And Isaiah was having those same emotions. This, this can't be good, God. It can't be right. It can't be what you want. And the angel said, the whole world is full of his glory. This, Isaiah, this is all going to work out for the glory of God. We don't always understand that. And it certainly doesn't make sense to us. And, and, and sometimes I'm not sure we ever will understand it. At least not till we stand before him and, and the pieces come together. Now I've had events in my life. You have too. Where, where it, something happened. And we thought oh man. I, I don't know how this is going to be good. But I trust you God. And, and then later on he allows us to see how. Okay. I see what you're doing there. But we don't always have that case. And Isaiah Isaiah is not going to live to see that. He will die before there is another good king in Israel. But the angels are reminding Isaiah, you have an almighty God who is in control, and these things will work out for his glory. Trust him. But then we find out this, and he says, and just as the angels speak, the very sound of their voices. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, let me talk about the smoke first. We don't, I don't really know why that happened, but, but here's what the theory is, and, and I think I agree with it. Remember, we talked about the fact, here, what, as we go back to what Isaiah first saw, the angels are covering their eyes and covering their feet. We know from what God told Moses that you can't look at God face to face. So, so maybe the smoke was in the temple for, for Isaiah's protection. Because the, God, the glory of God, he was seeing the throne, but he, but he couldn't see God face to face or he'd die. We've already been told that. And so, but then, but you, you hear this in the, and it says that there, there were, there, everything was shaking. And you know, I, th- I thought about this and as, I, as I've been doing this study, here's what I wrestled with. The, the term holy is another one of those terms that's become almost meaningless. And some of you, you're my age, remember remember the real Batman? The kind of pudgy guy a little bit that yeah, way back and and, and and Batman and Robin. What everything was what? Holy, holy joker, Batman. This is, you know, everything. And so we're kinda we're kinda teed on this holy and, and now, you know, I hear it's fun amazing. I I hear holy put before some it's pretty disgusting words. It's, it's becoming a, a, this term again that we misuse and, and we, we've lost 
we've lost the element of what it means. And, and, and you know, it's, uh, it reminds me, and I've shared this story before, but I, I read a story a, a number of years ago. This, you know, there's over in Europe somewhere, I guess there's a museum, and I think it might be one of the homes that Beethoven lived in. And, and so you can go in this, and you can take a tour of the home, and in <clears throat> one room, you come to a room, and, and, and the piano, one of the pianos that he composed music on is right there in that room. And so this guide was taking this tour through this home, and they came to that room where the piano was, and, and there's this one woman towards the back, very brash, you know, uh, and she pushes her way through the crowd, and she goes up and sits down and starts playing that piano. Well, she was getting a dirty look. She didn't notice it, but the guy was giving her really dirty looks. And when she got done, she pushed the bench back, stood up, and said, I'll bet a lot of people enjoy playing this piano. And the guy's response to that, he says, well, last year we had Podorsky here, the great composer and pianist, and, and we actually asked him to play, and he refused. He said that he was not worthy to allow his fingers to even touch the keyboard of Beethoven's piano. And it's nothing compared to the, glory, the holiness of God. And yet that's one of those words that we've lost track of. But it's not so much the word. I don't care about the word per se. It's who it's connected to. This holy, holy, holy God. And just the sound. This is not the sound of God's voice. The sound of the angels' voices. Just the sound of their voices saying these words. These words shake everything. This whole temple is shaking. It says it's shaking the doorpost and the thresholds shake. And the temple is filled with smoke. Can you imagine Isaiah about this point going, Oh man, what have I done? You know, I never should. Why did I even, why didn't I even ask the question? Why did, why did I dare ever step before God? And the reason he dared is because he had lost track. You know, he was familiar with God and, and he needed to remind of the fact that he had a holy, holy, holy God. More powerful than he even understood. More separated than any of us even understand. You know, when I uh, was a, a teenager, my, one of my father's ministry was in uh, California uh, and out in an earthquake territory. And I remember one of the things that we were taught as kids in school, we were taught that, uh, you know, in the event of an earthquake, that you, if, if you could get nowhere else, you'd get under your desk. You know, kind of like we teach our kids what to do with tornadoes here. Or, but if you could, they, they said, get into the, uh, uh, under a door frame because that was the safest place to be in an earthquake. And, and I'm sure some of you, like me, have we've seen these visions from the earthquake down in, in uh, uh, Mexico City and just the devastating. But it's really interesting. You know, this is, one, this is one of those pictures that's come out of this week, and the doorposts, the door frames, what's standing. And, 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 but for Isaiah, at this moment, just on the words of the angels who are not God, who are not holy, holy God, but are speaking for God. Just the words they say are shaking everything to the, the doorposts aren't even safe. In fact, the threshold and that and acts footers, the footers aren't even shaken. This, this temple is being shook and, and it feels like it's about to fall in on, on Isaiah just because he's come into contact and hearing the voices of angels who who speak, in this case, for God and are reminding Isaiah 
of who it is that's in charge, who it is that he is a spokesperson for. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so this is an important topic for us to be thinking through. Because that's your God. And it's my God. And I confess there are many times I am much too nonchalant about God. So we're going to go on because, you know, you look at this and you think, okay, here's this event. We've, all this stuff's happening around Isaiah and the building's shaking and feels like it's coming down and the room spilled with smoke and he hears these angels' voices and all this happening. I wonder, wonder how it impacts Isaiah. Well, we know how it impacts Isaiah. Woe is me. I am ruined. I'm a dead man. But it's important for us to get a glimpse of the holiness of God. Not, not because God wants us to, to shy away from him, because he doesn't. He wants us to come near him. He, he, he wants a fear. It talks in the Word of God about a fear, but it's a holy fear. It's a respectful fear that says, you know, I love God, and, and I don't want to do anything that is an affront to him. And I want my life, you know, he says, be holy as, as I'm holy. And, and that's, you know, uh, Travis mentioned that last week, and I hear that, and I think, yeah, right. But at least he wants the end of inclination on my heart is that, God, I want my life to represent you well. I wanted to represent the fact that, that the most important thing for me is to live a life that you're pleased with. I know I can't be holy other than the fact that the blood of Christ has cleansed me and purified me. But I want my life to be pleasing to you. I, that's my driving motivation. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I read a story just this past week. There's a man who's a missionary, uh, uh, and I think it was down in South America, but in the particular city that he is, uh, he serves, there are kids that live in the sewer system of the of the city. Now, some of those kids, they they went there to to be for safety to escape abuse and and rough situation, <clears throat> and so they have been in, down there for years, without ever seeing the light of day. They're down in these sewers, and and he has a heart, a passion. For these kids, so he goes down into these sewers and and be friends, and they're fearful. He has to, it takes time. He has to gain their trust, and takes food down to them and, and helps them. And eventually, as he as he gains their trust, eventually, what he hopes is, and, he, and he's been able to accomplish this with a few. But he he wants to to one by one bring them out of that sewer and and help them get established in the world and and feel safe and find jobs and and get into a better circumstances than they are. And, but what, it's really interesting what happens, because he'll, he'll, he'll befriend them, and he'll convince one he's gonna, that they, let me take you out of here. I got a place for you to stay, and, and uh, so let me take you out of there. And, and they'll say, okay. And so they'll begin to move out of the sewer, and as they're moving out of the sewer, and they, they're moving to the entranceway, and as they get closer to the entranceway, light shines. And a really interesting thing happens. The lighter it gets, the more they notice their filth, their, that there's excrement in their hair, uh, that their skin is just covered with 
lice and, and ugliness. And it's funny, almost all of them, there's, they come to a point where they do not want to go any further. They want to go back. Not that they want to be back there, but, but they are so disgusted with what they see in themselves that they are afraid to go out into the daylight, that they won't be able to recover from that much of a perspective of what they have become. We're going to stand before a holy God. And I got to tell you, that's going to be the impact. Even the things we thought we did well, we're going to realize, oh, I'm so far off. And, and, you know, it's interesting, and I've shared this before, Revelation says that he wipes away the tears. And so I think there's this moment, there's this moment. And obviously there's this moment where as we come before our holy God, we all bow to our knees. We fall before him, as Franch and Chen said. We, we fall down and begin to weep. And then he wipes the tears. And he says, you're holy because I made you holy. Come into my home. So as we end this morning, let me just make sure you're sitting in this room that you're holy today the only reason the only way that's even possible is if you've accepted God's gift his offer of total forgiveness of your sins past present and future all based on what God the son did on the cross if you've done that you have been purified not because you deserve it not because I deserve it because God has placed his son's holiness on you. If you haven't made that decision yet, don't put it off. Someday you will stand before him. And the folks who have accepted that gift will stand before him, will fall to their knees, and he will say, come into my home. And the ones who have not accepted that gift, he will say, depart. Depart. Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy God. We have a glimpse of what that means, maybe. We're so far away from the reality. But I pray as we've spent spending this time, dedicating this time of looking at your word and thinking through it, that you will help it to impress our hearts because, Lord, I want my life to be pleasing to you. I, I know I can't be holy on my own merit, impossible, but based on what your son has done in my life, I do want to live in a way that pleases you. And for the right reasons, I don't have to earn in your favor. You've, you've freely given it to me. And you love me and you love every person in this room with a holy love. So my response to that holy love is, Lord, I love you and, and I want you to be pleased. So part of that is going to be having a sense of what it means to have a holy God. Thank you for this opportunity to think it through together. And for the time we spent here this morning, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.
Kyle's going to come and sing to us. If you have kids upstairs, you might want to go ahead and head up as we're singing this last song and pick them up. And we'll continue this as you move out into the